Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of accounting for the three days and three nights that the Lord Jesus was in the grave. And today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was explaining from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, that the Lord Jesus most likely arrived in Bethany on Friday. That when you read this section in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and you read it assuming that he arrived in Bethany on Saturday, then you have to assume that if that's the case, then he has violated the Sabbath law. If he arrived in Bethany, then that would mean that he left one location to arrive in another location, and if he did that, then he is definitely in violation of the Sabbath law that requires a person to remain in their dwelling place. And so for this reason, I emphasize the importance of considering that the Lord Jesus arrived the day before, that he arrived on Friday, before the Sabbath arrived the seventh day of the week. If you assume that he arrived in Bethany on Sunday, on the first day of the week after the Sabbath, then you won't have enough days in the week as you go through the rest of the scriptures in order to reach the Sabbath day for the following week. You won't have enough time to do that. And so as we go through the scriptures, if you make the assumption that the Lord Jesus arrived in Bethany on the first day of the week and not on the sixth day of the week, then you won't have enough time. And so I'm making the assumption that the Lord Jesus arrived on Friday in Bethany. And so when you read John chapter 12, verse 1, where he said that it was six days before the Passover that he arrived in Bethany, if you walk forward six days from that specific day of arrival, then you will find that the Passover was going to occur on the following Thursday. Technically, the Passover will begin Wednesday evening, because in the Hebrew calendar, the days begin when there are three stars visible in the sky at night, not when the sun rises in the morning. That's an important distinction to be made. But to say that Friday is six days before the Passover would direct you to a Thursday that would be the day that the Lord Jesus was crucified. And if the Lord Jesus was crucified on Thursday, then you have three days and three nights. You have Thursday during the day, Friday and Saturday, and then you also have Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night that he was in the grave. And that is how we are able to account for all three days and three nights. But you have to make that assumption in John chapter 12, verse 1. Now, this certainly is not the only evidence. Let me move forward into the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have the description of the Lord Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the first day of the week. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, we have the description of the Lord Jesus coming into town. He comes into town, and the people acknowledge that he is the Messiah. The people call out to him, Hosanna to the Son of David, which means salvation now to the Son of David. Bring salvation now. He goes into the temple, and we can read about this in Matthew, chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. 
This is Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And as you continue to read in verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And then the chief priests, they complained, and we can read about that in verse 15. And in verse 16, the Lord Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. This is definitely a major event. The Lord Jesus did not just go into the temple, have a look around, and then leave town, as was implied in the Gospel of Mark. I believe that Matthew is giving us more detail than Mark gave. It is not as though Mark made an error. It is just that Mark did not feel that that was important for the message that he was wanting to communicate and to the audience that he was writing to. In Matthew, however, we have a lot more detail, and we can see that there was an awful lot taking place in the temple, that the Lord Jesus went in there on the first day of the week, and he overturned the tables. He performed many healings. Many people cried out to him. But then we read in verse 17, this is in Matthew chapter 21, verse 17, Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Then the next morning is described in verse 18. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And from here he curses the fig tree. And I'm not going to read the complete account of him cursing the fig tree. But what I do want to say is that he cursed the fig tree on the second day of the week. This would be recognized as Monday instead of the Tuesday that was implied by Mark that there is a chronological discrepancy between the two, and I sincerely believe that Matthew's account is chronologically correct, that Mark did not intend to write a chronological account, but was just simply describing the events in a general way. I am not saying that the Gospel of Mark is invalid. I am saying that Mark did not intend to write the complete chronology. He never claimed that he was going to write the complete chronology. And so on that basis, I'm not going to consider the Gospel of Mark to be invalid. Instead, I look to the Gospel of Matthew for some greater clarification on specifics with regards to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. As we continue to read in Matthew chapter 21, we see that Jesus cursed the fig tree on Monday, and then following that, he was examined by the four leadership groups in Jerusalem. Now, this examination was very important because it paralleled, it corresponded, it fulfilled what was foreshadowed by the Passover law, that the Passover lamb was to be examined to ensure that there was no blemish within the Passover lamb. And I explained this in a series that I did on the examination of the Lord Jesus, where I explained the questions that the people asked the Lord Jesus, what the questions really meant inherently, and I explained the answers of the Lord Jesus in context of those questions. And so you can gain a greater understanding with regards to the dialogue that was taking place between the two. But as you continue to read in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, and chapter 25, this is the account of the interaction that the Lord Jesus had with the people on this second day of the week, on Monday. It is in Matthew chapter 26 that the Lord Jesus gives us some additional information that we can use with regards to this subject that is determining exactly what day he was crucified and so we know precisely what day he rose from the dead so that we can account for all three days and three nights. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, 
and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. All right, now, the Lord Jesus says here on the first day of the week that after two days will be the Passover. That means that on Monday, after two days, there will be the Passover. And so if we look at the next day being Tuesday, he could say after one day will be the Passover. On Wednesday, that will be the end of the one day, which means that at the end of Wednesday, the Passover will begin, which is to say, technically, the Passover begins Wednesday night when three stars are visible in the sky, which means that they are going to sacrifice their lambs on Wednesday evening in the temple. The Lord Jesus is going to eat a Passover meal on Wednesday evening, and then the following day he is going to be crucified on Thursday, which will be the day of Passover. And so this is how I'm able to account for the three days and three nights, by walking through the scriptures in this way. But here's the difficulty. Here's the challenge, and that is that there are some additional passages in the Gospels that are very difficult to understand. And the reason why is because there are words that are being used, such as Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Day of Preparation. There are some words that are being used that describe very specific things. And when we go in and look at these verses, there seems to be some confusion or some contradiction or some uncertainty with regards to what day really is the Passover and what day really is the Day of Preparation. This is where the complications begin, but that's okay because there is a way to explain the following verses that I will be going through in detail in the Gospels that are what we would consider to be potentially problematic. I will recognize that they are potentially problematic, but there is a very clear explanation for each passage with relevance to the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Day of Preparation, the Sabbaths. There is a very clear explanation for each one of these things. But in order to understand the explanation, it is necessary for me to explain to you some of the very fine details of the Law of Moses with regards to Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is necessary for me to explain that because this is something that is not being talked about today. This is something that very few people understand, and I believe the reason why is simply because people are not really studying the law. Instead, they are relying on rabbinical tradition and other traditions that are being promoted in some movements within Christianity. They are relying on the traditions of men as opposed to the law of God. And so it's going to be necessary for me to explain the law with regards to Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread first, and then I can go into these specific passages in the scriptures and explain exactly what is taking place in these passages when you read them. Okay, now to begin with, it's necessary to start with how do you know when the Passover is to take place? What I mean by that question is how do you know when the 10th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar arrives? How will you really know? Now, most people will respond to that question by simply saying that they go to the store and they purchase a calendar that keeps track of the Hebrew festivals. They would purchase a calendar and then they would look in the calendar and find out when these festivals are scheduled in the calendar. Well, I can just about guarantee you that if you do that, you are definitely wrong you can be virtually guaranteed that your dates are totally wrong 
because the calendar that is being used by the rabbinical community today is a computational calendar that was derived several hundred years after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, after the Lord Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. This is a computational system that they are using that has nothing to do with what the Lord our God intended. It's very important to understand this, because if you don't understand this, you're not going to have an appreciation, really, for how the Lord established the nation of Israel and the festivals that governed the society that was constructed through the Law of Moses. The way that the God of Israel defined the calendar for the nation of Israel was according to the harvest of the barley. It was through knowing when the barley was ready to be harvested that the Lord our God would tell us when the first month of the Hebrew calendar would begin. And so this would change every year, and on some occasions we would have an extra month in the year just because of when the barley was ready to be harvested. This would depend on the barley harvest. This is how we would determine the first month. Every month we would monitor the moon. The months were determined by the lunar cycle, not the solar cycle. We would monitor the moon and determine when there was a full moon, and we would keep track of that and how many days would occur after that full moon. That is one thing that we would be doing. The second thing that we would be doing is we would be monitoring the barley in the fields nearby Jerusalem. Wherever we could find barley within the regional proximity of Jerusalem, that barley would be monitored to determine when it was ready to be harvested. The way that we would know if it was ready to be harvested was by parching the grain with fire. What we would do is we would go and we would take some of the grain from the barley plants and we would parch it with fire in a pan or on a piece of metal. And if there was grain that remained after parching it with fire, then we would say that the grain was ready to be harvested. If it was not quite ready to be harvested, then the grain would just evaporate. There would be nothing remaining. And so we would know when it was ready to be harvested if it would remain after parching it with fire. And if that occurs, then we would say that the barley was ready to be harvested. It is now the month of the barley, which was the month of Aviv. The word Aviv is the word for barley in Hebrew. And the first month would be considered. Now, what I mean by it would be considered is that it depends on whether or not the barley was ready to be harvested before the tenth day after the most recent full moon. This was very important because if the barley was ready to be harvested after the tenth day of the month, then if we announced that this was the first month, then the people would not have enough time to select their lamb on the tenth day of the month to examine the lamb until the 14th day of the month and so that it could be sacrificed on Passover. And so if the barley was ready to be harvested after the 10th day of the month, then we would wait until the next full moon and then that would be declared to be the first month in our year and then the 10th day following that full moon, it would be the day that we would select the Passover lamb and the Passover would be the 14th day of that month. There are many people who have evaluated the calendars and have done some significant astronomical computations in order to try and determine what day the Passover was going to be held in the year 30 A.D., 31, and 32 A.D. Some significant work has been done in order to try and figure out what day precisely the Lord Jesus entered into Jerusalem. I believe the best work that I have seen was done by Sir Robert Anderson in his text called The Coming Prince. He did a very good job. 
But this is one thing that he excluded in his research, and that is that we do not know when the barley was ready to be harvested in Jerusalem in that year. And so because of that, we're not able to determine exactly what month or what day the Lord Jesus really did arrive in Jerusalem. He gave a good estimate, but because of our lack of information with regards to harvesting the barley, we cannot say what year or day the Lord Jesus really did arrive because of that one lack of information. Now, if the barley was ready to be harvested before the tenth day after the most recent full moon, then signal fires would be ignited to notify the people throughout Israel that the most recent full moon is actually the first month in their calendar. And so they would know that the tenth day following that most recent full moon, they need to select a lamb and start heading for Jerusalem. Because according to the law of Passover, if you are going to obey the law of Passover, or if you are going to observe the law of Passover, then you are required to go to Jerusalem every year and observe Passover there. You are required to select a lamb on the 10th day of the month. You are required to sacrifice that lamb on the 14th day of the month. You are required to eat bitter herbs, and you are required to eat unleavened bread on that day in Jerusalem. And if you do not do this, then you are to be cut off from the nation of Israel forever never to be allowed to participate in the things of Israel ever again if you miss just one Passover in Jerusalem. That was the law. That is what God said. And so if you want to suggest that you are observing Passover, then really observe Passover. Otherwise, don't say that you're observing Passover. Say that you are remembering Passover or something like that. Because if we say that we are observing Passover and we are not following the law of Passover well, then we are giving a false impression, or more correctly, we're being dishonest. That's what we are being if we suggest that we obey the law when in reality we do not. But what's important to understand is that this is how we determined when the Passover would occur. Okay, the next thing that's very important to recognize is that there was another feast that was to occur 24 hours later. This feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. According to the law, the Feast of Unleavened Bread occurs 24 hours after the Passover. The Passover occurs on the 14th day of the month, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread occurs on the 15th day of the month. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is very simple. You are required to eat unleavened bread for seven days. But there's one other very important component of the Feast of Unleavened Bread as it relates to this subject of accounting for the three days and three nights that you must recognize. And that is that the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath day. And not only is it a Sabbath day, but it is a special Sabbath day. It is a very unique Sabbath day. You see, the law governing a regular Sabbath day says that you are not permitted to leave your dwelling place, you are not permitted to buy or sell, you are not permitted to kindle a fire, you are not permitted to prepare food in that sense. You are required to rest on that day. But on this Sabbath day, there was an exception that the Lord our God made. And the exception was that you were permitted to prepare food. This was the exception of the Sabbath day of the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the day that followed the Passover. This was a special Sabbath day. It was a Sabbath day that only occurred once a year, and it was unique because you were allowed to prepare food. You were not allowed to buy or sell food, but you could prepare food. And so because of this, the rabbinical authorities before the time of the Lord Jesus decided to really prepare a lot of food. 
And so it was taught by the rabbinical authorities and the school of the Sophers, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel and the other schools. It was taught that we are to really prepare food and really enjoy our food. And to ensure that we would really do that, they instituted something called the Seder, which was the order in which you were to eat the food and remember the exodus from Egypt. Today, this is referred to as the Passover Seder. But back in the time of the Lord Jesus, this was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was not the meal that the Lord Jesus participated in the night before he died. This was the meal that the disciples or the rest of the people would participate in the day after he died or the evening following his death. And so when people are suggesting that the Passover Seder that they participate in today is the same meal that the Lord Jesus participated in at the Last Supper, they are not telling the truth. Technically, they are a day late and a law short. The Passover Seder was instituted as a meal that the people would eat on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread following the Passover meal, which was a meal of lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. It was a different meal. Now, on the Passover Seder, they would also eat bitter herbs and unleavened bread, but you won't eat any lamb on that day. That was the exception with regards to what you could eat, because there was the impression that if you did have lamb on that day, then it could be leftovers from the day before, and that definitely was not permitted. According to the law of God, any lamb that remained after the Passover meal was to be consumed with fire before morning. And so because of that, they would ensure that the Feast of Unleavened Bread did not have any lamb as part of the meal. That was an exception. Now, what I've just described is something that very few people know, very few rabbinical authorities even know. And the reason why is because most people are studying tradition, not the law of Moses. But if you will just read the law, if you will go into the law of Moses and read the law, it is very clear that there is a distinction between the day and the meal of Passover and the day and the meal of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Those are two very different things, very different events. Very different meals. They are not the same. Now, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the people no longer had the temple at their disposal. The Lord our God effectively took away the temple from the people of Israel, and so he took away the people's ability to live in obedience to the commandments of God. He took away the infrastructure that would be necessary if they were going to continue to try to live in obedience to the commandments of Moses. He took away the infrastructure from them, taking away the temple, taking away the priesthood, and so they were not able to fulfill the obligations of the law. It didn't take very long after that before the rabbinical authorities decreed that the people were no longer to observe the laws of Passover because we did not have the temple available to us to properly observe the laws of Passover and that we were going to have to wait until the temple was restored before we could correctly observe the laws of Passover. They felt it was better to wait until we could obey the laws of Passover than to try to obey the laws of Passover but not really obey them correctly. And so from that time forward, the rabbinical authorities emphasized the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread became the emphasized festival that everyone would participate in from that day forward. And since then, the word Passover has been used synonymously with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it gives the impression that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is Passover, or that Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that they are effectively the same thing, but technically they are very different. 
this is what has happened today. And yet, in reality, we can go into the scriptures and we can see in the scriptures that this was taking place back then in the time of the Lord Jesus. This was described in Matthew chapter 26 in verse 17. This is Matthew chapter 26 verse 17 where it says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? You see here Matthew records on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the disciples are asking, Where should they go to prepare the Passover? This is an example of how the terms were being used synonymously because these two festivals were so close together. The time that we would observe them was defined by each one of them. We have the Feast of Unleavened Bread right after the Passover. We have the Passover right before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so these words were being used synonymously, but it's necessary for you to understand the details of the law so that when you go into the scriptures and you see these words being used, if you keep track of the chronology of events, even though these words are being used interchangeably as though they are synonymous, if you understand the law, then you can identify exactly what they are really referring to in the scriptures, even though there are some discrepancies because of the words being used synonymously. Now, these discrepancies are not considered to be errors that we should really be concerned about. Errors in the sense of, does this threaten the integrity of the scriptures? Of course not. These discrepancies are simply the cause of the culture. They are caused because of the culture. The culture created idiomatic expressions from these terms. These terms which define the very festivals in order to describe the totality of the festivities that were taking place during this time of the year. The culture used these words as idiomatic expressions. And so when a person referred to the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the person who was hearing those words being used would know precisely what was being communicated. Today, if we look at the scriptures from an academic point of view, and we look at these words being used, we can easily become confused because of the details that are given to us in the law. But if you will just accept the reality that the culture was using these words interchangeably, then it's very easy to go into the scriptures and understand exactly what's taking place. But you do have to make that assumption. And if you do not make that assumption, then it will be very difficult to identify all three days and three nights that the Lord Jesus was in the grave. And also it will be very difficult to understand what is taking place chronologically from the time of the Lord's Supper to the time when the Pharisees asked for a guard to be placed over the tomb of the Lord Jesus. And I will continue with this subject in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. 